In the morning, as Jesus was returning to the city, he became hungry, and seeing a fig tree by the wayside, he went to it and found nothing on it but only leaves. And he said to it, May no fruit ever come from you again. And the fig tree withered at once. When the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How did the fig tree wither at once? Jesus answered them, Truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, Be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. Let us bow our heads. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for uh, giving us uh, this precious word that we have this morning. We do pray, O oh Lord, for the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts this morning as, as we study your word together, Lord. We ask that you would teach us. Uh, we pray, the Lord, that we would all hear your voice this morning. In Jesus' precious name, amen. The text that we come to this morning is a very soul-searching text. And in one sense, we could say that about uh, uh, most of Scripture. Uh, but in another sense, there are some texts that uh, are sharper than many others. Uh, for instance, uh, uh, when you're reading books like Nehemiah and you read about the, the inventory of the exiles that come out of Babylon into the Promised Land, it's probably unlikely that many of us will get real convicted of our sins in reading that. Um, but there's other passages that really cut right to the heart. And this particular passage is one of those passage, passages. And because I'm handling such a sharp text this morning, I pray that the Holy Spirit would give us um, His wisdom and, and extra care in handling it. Um, there are, uh, there's always a temptation when you come to texts like this to see that they are so sharp and uh, in some respects, uh, a little bit dangerous if misapplied, there's a um, temptation to just skip over them. And uh, of course, in doing that, we run into another problem. If we skip over the Word of God, we skip over any part of the Word of God, well then its purpose will never be uh, uh, acted out in our, our lives. Uh, so as we, as we think about this text this morning, and if you're familiar with this text at all, you, you understand what I'm talking about in terms of it being very sharp. Uh, if you don't, if you're not familiar with it, I pray in a few minutes you will be, and you'll see what I'm talking about here. Um, there are a lot of people today who uh, are professing to belong to Jesus Christ. Um, still, polls show so many uh, Americans still professing to be uh, Christians. Yet, when we look at the lives of many folks that profess faith in Christ, we clearly see that their lives portray a whole different allegiance uh, than one to Jesus. And as I say these words, please understand, I'm very mindful that in my own life there are many areas that are out of step with Jesus. So I say this in trembling, uh, and I never want to give the impression that I think that my, my walk can't be improved upon because you all know better than that. Uh, as well as I do. Um, but that having been said, there's a lot of people who are expecting to enter into heaven safely, uh, who are in grave danger of hearing those dreadful words, depart from me for I never knew you. Uh, you remember those words from Matthew chapter 7, which is another very sharp text, and one that also has to be applied gently and with care. 
in, in that text, uh, Jesus says these words. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, uh, but only the one who does the will of the Father. And he says that on that day, many will come to him and say, Lord, Lord, you know, did we not uh, cast out demons in your name? Did we not do mighty works in your name? Did we not prophesy in your name? And Jesus will say to them, depart from me, for I never knew you. It's a horrifying words, aren't they? Uh, very, very horrifying words. And uh, these people that will hear these words, Jesus promises that there will be many. The people that are in view here were not inactive. They were actually very active. I presume they were, some of them were probably going to church every Sunday. Some of them were probably praying quite regularly, doing all kinds of things, doing many works, mighty works. But Jesus says to him, Depart from me, for I never knew you. In the midst of all of these works, in the midst of all this activity, there was no inner life. No inward grace, if you will. Now, this could be said of a lot of folks. Uh, there's an outward profession, but no inner life. It could be said of many churches. There's lots of activity, uh, but no uh, inward life. Um, these texts, I don't know about you, but they cause me to tremble. Uh, I, I tremble uh, for all of you. Um, sometimes when I'm praying and I'm just thinking about the church, Sometimes it occurs to me that what if there's someone here who isn't going to make it to heaven? It's, just, it's a, it's a soul-searching thought, isn't it? They cause me to tremble. There's a lot of people who are going to hear those words, depart from me, for I never knew you. So we must take these texts very seriously. The text that we come to this morning is one such text. What I want to do this morning is explain verses, really verses 18 and 19, this uh, very, very famous story of Jesus with the fig tree. I want to explain that text. And then after explaining it, I think as I explain it, you're going to see that the application to the church, which will be the first application I want to make this morning. And then the second application will be zooming in just a little closer uh, to us as individuals. So let's start with um, explaining the text. We're told in verse 18 that in the morning as Jesus was returning to the city, he became hungry. Now here we see the humanity of Jesus in view. He, he, he became hungry just like we do. In verse 19, seeing a fig tree by the wayside, he went to it and found nothing on it but only leaves. And he said to it, may no fruit ever come from you again. Now, there's some things that we need to know in order to understand this text. We need to know some things about fig trees. And um, I don't know anything about fig trees. Um, but those who do know about fig trees uh, tell us that, uh, that a fig tree first produces figs and then it produces leaves. It produces figs first and then leaves. And the interesting thing about our text, you know, Mark in his gospel also tells us this story. And he tells us that it wasn't even the season for figs yet. It wasn't even, it wasn't even fig season, if you will. Um, and we might ask, well, if it wasn't the season for figs, then 
Why did Jesus expect to find figs on the tree? Uh, and the answer is quite simple, isn't it? It's because it had leaves. If we grew up in that region, we would all know this. Uh, everybody looks forward to summertime, don't they? One of the one of the signs of the change of the seasons would be those little figs beginning to bloom on the fig tree. And after you saw the figs, then you'd start to see the leaves. And Jesus, Jesus sees this tree. It's not even season for figs, and it's remarkable because there's this tree full of leaves. And Jesus goes to it because He's hungry. What's He expecting to find? He's expecting to find figs. He's expecting to find fruit. He inspects the tree and he learns that there's no fruit on it at all. Now, what's going on here? This tree is advertising itself to be fruitful, isn't it? Yet it has no fruit. Now, let's think about that in the context that it's in this morning. The religious leaders of the day were advertising themselves to be the people of God. They had the temple rules and regulations. They had their sacrifices. They had their prayers. They had their synagogue meetings, etc., etc., etc. They were uh, church-going folks. Uh, they went through all of the motions. They, they did all of the things. They were up bright and early on, um, on, the, uh, uh, on the Sabbath day, if you will going through all the motions. But yet last week we saw incredible corruption taking place in the church, didn't we? In the courts of the Gentiles. People were being oppressed financially. They were being ripped off, actually. And nobody could have possibly worshipped in that area. And furthermore, they're trying to get rid of Jesus, aren't they? They're trying everything they can to get rid of Jesus. Now, those who are familiar with the Old Testament will also recall that Israel is often referred to as a vine or a vineyard or a fig tree. That's why I chose Isaiah chapter 5 this morning. In Isaiah 5, 7, in fact, we're told that in that passage, uh, the vineyard represents the house of Israel. In other words, the vineyard represents the people of God. And in other passages, it's the fig tree. In Jeremiah 8, 13, uh, we read these words, God speaking through Jeremiah, When I would gather them, declares the Lord, there are no grapes on the vine nor figs on the fig tree. So we see there's a lot of, of prophetic utterance that involves uh, illustrations uh, that use the fig tree or the vineyard or the vine. And furthermore, I mean, Israel didn't always, if you know the story of the Old Testament, you know Israel did not always remain faithful. And as Israel... Uh, fell into uh, faithlessness, if you will, or unfaithfulness, uh, the Lord sent prophets to her. And the prophets called her back to faithfulness. And in a lot of those uh, utterances, the prophets would uh, uh, illustrate what's going to happen to them if they don't come back uh, by using the fig tree or the vine, uh, if you will, or the vineyard. Uh, we have one such text here. Um, Hosea 2.12 says, I will lay waste her vines and her fig trees. Uh, so we see that here the, the fig tree and the vine is again being used uh, as an illustration. Uh, and in this sense, 
not just an illustration of, of the people of God, but an illustration of judgment for the people of God. So when we put all this together and we go back to Matthew, we see that what Jesus is doing here with this fig tree is pregnant with all kinds of symbolism, isn't it? Oftentimes the fig tree represents the people of God. And in the prophets, the withering of the fig tree represents judgment on the people of God, if you will. Now what's going on here? Here's this fig tree in leaf advertising itself to be fruitful. Jesus goes to it. He inspects it. He discovers there's no fruit on it at all. And what happens to it? It's judged. He curses it and it withers. In the same way, the religious institution of Jesus' day were advertising themselves as the people of God. We advertise ourselves as the people of God as soon as we call ourselves Christians. If we call ourselves a Christian, then we've got leaves. Can you see that connection? These religious institutions of Jesus' day was advertising themselves as the people of God, but they were fruitless. And therefore, they were ripe for judgment. And as we continue in Matthew, we're going to see, especially in Matthew 23 and Matthew 24, Matthew 25, uh, Jesus begins to really... Um, denounce the hypocrisy of his day because that's what's in view. Uh, hypocrisy is when we pretend to be something that we're not. Uh, the word goes all the way back to the Greek tragedies and originally uh, the hypocrite was an actor. Uh, it was someone who wore a mask. Have you ever seen uh, some movies that uh, depict the ancient tragedies where the, the costume really was just a, like a, almost like a pair of glasses on a little stick that the that the actor would hold up to his eyes. Has anybody seen that? Um, that was the hypocrite. It was someone who was in character. They were pretending to be somebody uh, who they were not. That is what is in view here. Now I think with this explanation, we're now really starting to see some of the application. Uh, this text has a powerful application uh, for the church today. After the resurrection of Christ and the sending of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, uh, we all know the apostles went through all the Holy Land, didn't they? And the disciples went through the Holy Land and through the whole known world preaching the gospel. And as they did uh, so, the Lord accompanied the preaching of the gospel uh, uh, with His powerful grace and churches began to spring up all over the place, didn't they? Hundreds and hundreds of churches began to spring up all over the known world. But by the time of the end of the first century, we already know there were many problems in the churches. You know, Paul writes letters to address problems that are in the church. John does as well. Peter does. The author to the letter of the Hebrews does. Uh, but in Revel the book of Revelation, chapters 2 and 3 uh, are, are, in, are very instructive in these regards. Um, Jesus gives words to seven churches that are in Asia Minor. Seven particular churches. And these churches actually represent the church, if you will. Uh, there are instructions that are given uh, at a particular time to particular churches, uh, but they represent the church. Uh, the first church in chapter 2 is the church of Ephesus. What did, what did Jesus say about Ephesus? He commends them for the things they're doing right, but he also says 
you have forsaken your first love. And then the churches of, of Pergamum and Thyatira were toying with false teaching. The church in Sardis had a reputation of being alive, yet it was dead. Listen to that. The church in Sardis had a reputation of being alive, but it was already dead. It had a reputation of being alive. It had leaves. But with the exception of a few saints in the church, it had no fruit. The church in Laodicea, which is the church that's usually applied to our culture, uh, had become lukewarm. Uh, I think it's a mistake to think that only Laodicea applies to us today. I think they all apply to us today, all five of them. Um, the, only the churches in Smyrna and Philadelphia received no, no rebuke. Uh, the two churches, out of the seven churches, five of them are rebuked. Now, here's a question. Where are these churches today? What happened to these mighty churches? These churches were in Asia Minor, which is now modern-day Turkey. And modern-day Turkey is practically entirely Muslim. Tammy and I have friends that are in Turkey right now ministering the gospel. What happened to the churches? And we might think for a minute, you remember a, a year ago or so when we were studying the book of Acts, I don't know how, maybe it's been a couple years ago, uh, we got to the church in Antioch, you know, the mighty church in Antioch, which was the center of Christianity for a time. What become of that church? Where is it now? And we might, we might go down through the corridors of time all the way down to the 16th century and think of Calvin's Geneva, and the great church that was in Geneva. Where is it now? Or the church in Scotland, if you will. The church in Scotland is still in, in existence, but it would hardly be recognized by its, by its fathers. What happened? What went wrong? What happened to all of these mighty churches that were not only in leaf but bearing great fruit? What happened to them? Well, over time, the, the fruit began to diminish, didn't it? And when the fruit diminishes, the children aren't retained. Children are raised and they grow up and they're not part of the church. Or they grow and they leave the church. And the church can't survive that. That's something that the church cannot, the local church simply cannot survive. The church cannot survive with leaves. If a church is in leaf only, uh, it will soon wither. And as we think this through, I mean, here, here's a soul-searching question. It's one I've toyed with all week. Um, if Jesus were to write a letter to Tri-State Community Church, what would he say? I can see it on your faces, yeah, and I think you can see it on mine. Um, that's a soul-searching question, isn't it? Why are we concerned? It's because we're aware of so much worldliness that's in our lives, aren't we? You know, the only thing that comforts me as I think about that question is the good nature of our Lord. He is, he is so merciful. He is so good. He is so patient. He is so long-suffering. 
And this really segues really to the next application. It's to us as individuals. I mean, the local church is comprised of individuals, isn't it? And a church withers when a large number of its members are, are leaves only. And I think we need to ask ourselves this question. Is there fruit being produced in our hearts? That's why I continued with Galatians 5, 22 and 23 uh, this week. Uh, I didn't change the scripture memory verse because I want us to focus on it some more. You know, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. I, I want to say a few words about that because it's easy to, it's easy to be uh, confused here. What Paul is speaking about in Galatians is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. He's not talking about a natural constitution. Let me give you an example to flesh out what I'm talking about. There are people who are born with patience. They have tremendous patience. They, they don't profess faith in Jesus Christ. They're just patient people. That's part of their natural makeup, part of their natural constitution. That is not what's in view with the word patience in Galatians 5:22 and 23. What Paul has in view is not our natural constitution. Well, we might think of someone who's really loving. I'm thinking of somebody right now I know that is really loving. It's, she, she is one of the most loving people that I, I can think of. But I am not sure that she really knows Jesus. She is just a loving person. She always has been. People who've known her since she was a girl tell me that she has always been this way. That's her natural makeup. We wouldn't look to that as fruit of the Holy Spirit. We look to that as common grace. When we're looking at the fruit of the Spirit, we're looking at the product of saving grace. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is that fruit that is produced as we have repented of our sins and placed our faith in Jesus Christ. That's the fruit that is, re that is produced in our lives as God changes our hearts. It is a fruit that God brings into our lives. It's not something that we can do. It's something that God does. And this morning, let us ask ourselves, are these fruits being produced in our hearts? Is the Holy Spirit producing love, for instance, in our hearts for one another? As a church, are we growing in love towards one another. Spend some time this afternoon and read John's first letter. John speaks a lot about that in his first letter, and, and this is how he speaks about it. He says, this is how we can know if we've been brought from death to life. This is how we can know if we've been brought uh, into the fold. This is how we can know if we're really gods, if we love the brothers. He speaks about that over and over again. If we love one another, are we growing in love with one another would be a good diagnostic uh, to ask ourselves. Are we growing in joy? Uh, and I'm not talking about the joy that we experience when we get a new toy or a gadget or the joy we experience. Not, not that natural joy. What I'm talking about is joy that, that we would experience even in the midst of a trial. If you're experiencing joy in the midst of a trial, a very good chance that's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Because we usually don't experience joy when we're going through hard times. 
do we? Patience, self-control, are these graces being produced in our hearts? Because at the end of the day, that's the only way that we can know if we're truly saved. Let's think about those folks that Jesus is talking about in Matthew 7. And many of them will come to me and say, Lord, Lord. They were expecting to enter into heaven safely. Weren't they? But they won't. Now, we might... Uh, I, I think we, at this point, we probably should really consider a word or two about grace. You know, I, I promised to conclude this message with a word or two about grace. See why I promised that? This is really soul-searching stuff, isn't it? It's important stuff. Does anybody think this is not important? It's not something we want to skip, is it? Uh, it's so very, very important. It's painful soul-searching, and it's also soul-searching that needs to be handled with care. You know, someone, someone might be thinking here, as they're thinking about fruit in their hearts, they might, they might be thinking, well, you know something, I know that I'm not producing, I, I know there's not as much fruit in my life as there should be. I know there's not as much fruit as there should be. That's not what's in view here, and that's not what I'm talking about here. When Jesus goes to the fig tree, he doesn't rebuke the fig tree because it wasn't as fruitful as it should have been. He judges the fig tree because there's no fruit on it at all, right? That's what's in view here. If we look into our hearts and we, if we, first of all, if all of us look into our hearts, we're all going to come to the conclusion that we're not as fruitful as we should be. Everyone in this room will come to that conclusion. We can talk about that another day. But what's in view here with this text now is, is there any fruit being produced in our hearts? And if the answer to that question is no, Jesus, ha Jesus, Jesus has this covered for us. We need not wonder what's wrong here. Think about the famous passage in John 15 where Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. He says, apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. If we look into our hearts and we do not see these graces that Paul's talking about in Galatians 5.22 and 23, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, if we look in our hearts and we don't see these things, what's going on? A very good chance we're severed from the vine. And if that's the case, forget about fruit right now. That's, that's not the order of business right now. Forget about fruit. Go to the vine. Look to the vine. Who is the vine? Christ is the vine. We look to our Lord. We look to our Savior. Confess the fact. Lord, I don't think there's any fruit in my life. I'm not sure, but it doesn't look that way. Is it true that I'm severed from you? I never thought I was severed from you. Listen, I am a person who thought I was in the Lord for many years of my life, only to discover that I have severed from the Lord for many years of my life. When we, dis when we make that discovery, it's a blessing. It's a curse to never make the discovery and to go on uh, believing that you're going to safely enter into 
uh, God's heaven, only to discover you're going to be cast away. So if we don't think there's any fruit in our hearts, well, we go to the Lord. We ask Him to give us the gift of faith and repentance that we would truly become right with Him. And that's, that's, our, that's our first order of business. It's not fruitfulness. And, and let me say, let me go ahead and say a word about the, the fact as well, because some of you obviously have walked with the Lord for a long period of time. And if you're like me, you're still thinking of the fact that we're not as fruitful as we should be. Well, what do we do about that? If we look to our lives and we say, we're not, as, you know, we're not as fruitful as we should be, what is the answer to that? Do we try harder? Is that what we do? Again, the message is pretty much the same. We look to the Lord. We look to Christ. Look at Jesus on the cross. What's He doing up there? He's dying in our place. Look to all of these, you know, spend the afternoon, just read a few stories in the gospel and, and look what Jesus is doing. What's he doing? He's earning a perfect righteousness. So he can do what? So he can give it to us. And go to the tomb. Go to the tomb with the women. And discover with them that the tomb is empty. Discover that all over again afresh. Look to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Look to the promises. The great promises that await the people of God. As you do this, do you know what will happen? As you do this with the eye of faith, your heart will become warmed. You will see the beauty of this all over again. You will see it afresh. And as you see the beauty of this, you know what's going to be produced in your life? Fruit. For starters, you're not going to be able to keep it to yourself. I've not been real good at doing that. But I've discovered that over the last couple of years, I've done it better than I have for a long time. And that means there's a problem, doesn't it? I used to be much more zealous about sharing my faith than I am today. And that makes me think of the church of Ephesus. You know, you're doing all these things. You've got all, you got all these things going on, you know. It, it all sounds good, but there's this one thing that I want you to think about. You've forsaken your first love. This is soul-searching stuff, isn't it? Heavenly Father, Lord, as we ponder these things, as we ponder the soul-searching word that you've given us, Lord, I pray that it would never, 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 never be the case that anyone in this room would hear those dreadful words, depart from me, for I never knew you. I pray, O oh Lord, for your grace to come upon us all, O oh Lord. But Lord, uh, we would truly, truly search our hearts to look for fruit. And that, Lord, you, you would give us the eyes to see this and the ears to hear this. And if we discover there's no fruit in our lives, Lord, that I pray that you would not leave us alone until, until, we have, uh, until we have truly repented of our sins and come to you in saving faith and trust. And, oh, Lord, I pray that as we go forth from this place, Lord, that uh, we would truly be looking to you, O oh Lord, uh, to renew our hearts afresh this morning, uh, to think of the sobriety of these texts, how important and utterly important they are. There could be nothing more important than this. O oh Lord, 
Uh, search us and know us and reveal to us our hidden faults, we pray in Jesus' precious name. Everyone said, Amen.